Warning, this is the most important podcast of our lifetime. Hello, everyone. <laughs> what is Hapatarian? So what is, what is Hapa? So when you put together Hapatarians, what, what is that? You know the thing. They're here, to, <laughs> they're here to awkward it up for you guys. Which is a very interesting and beautiful mix of humanity. Anyone has a podcast. You're an extremist. Shut up. All right, let's, let's get to it. Hey, what's happening? And welcome to the Hopitarian Show, the number one podcast hosted by Half Asian Man. Please don't forget to subscribe, leave a five star rating, and in the comments, tell us how much you love the Hapa Ethno State. Our guest today is a man who placed fifth in a Fred Durst lookalike contest and has guaranteed that my invite is in the mail for the new poker show he is starring in. <laughs> it's the host of the Liberty Lockdown podcast, Clint Russell. How are you doing, sir? I'm good, Shane. Thanks for having me, man. Um, yeah, I, was it? Did I recognize Malice's voice in that intro? Uh, Malice was not in the intro as of now. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. I thought I thought one of them was. I, I recognized like half of them, but I didn't know if that was Malice. Anyways, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so, yeah, I know that uh, that I should be getting that invite anytime. So I'm just waiting and you know waiting patiently. Well, in fairness, uh, I don't even have a contract yet, so you know, let's let's cool our jets a little bit. I can't <laughs> I can't be inviting people until I'm actually hired. Um, but yeah, hopefully that happens here soon. Um, I think the the holdup at this point is waiting on permitting for the the poker hall. Um, I would be the host of Poker with the Boys, and then also manage the poker hall when I am not on the show, which is it's only six tables, so I don't think the management would consist of much. Um, just hiring and you know scheduling and shit like that so i'm looking forward to it should be uh, i be really weird to move from miami out to you know west virginia but i think i'm going to follow the the opportunities wherever they lead me yeah it's going to be a, a big change going from the nice beautiful beaches of florida to the mountainous west virginia uh, so yeah. well he lives he lives in like rural it's like Maryland and Virginia and West Virginia. It's like this little tri-state thing, mm. um, but it's it's pretty. But the weather does suck, so yeah. I'm not I'm not exactly prepared for that. But you know, he like he and I were talking about it. I went out there on Friday just to play poker with him, and obviously just to, figured, just to make sure they actually know how to play the game, right? I, honestly, I think that's what he. I think that's what it was. Like he was testing <laughs> me, and fortunately, it was six players, and and he and I both won, and everybody else lost all their money. Um, I doubled my money, and he tripled his. So, you know, I think I did exactly what I I needed to do. I, I proved that I was capable, and you know, we'll we'll see where it leads from here. But his expectation is, we were we were shooting the shit over like what type of guests we could get, and and he thinks that like Matt Gates and Massey and even maybe AOC would come and play. And I was like, AOC, you got to be kidding me, dude. So if I end up playing poker against AOC and Matt Gates, I think the world may. Um, <laughs> the, the world may catch on fire that would be so crazy <laughs> yeah that'd be a crazy mix of people in there i can just imagine so, so weird yeah yeah but uh you know the richer get richer and the poorer get poorer because you said that you <laughs> doubled and he tripled so of course, of course exactly he's he's the only person i know that's richer than me so of course he, he won the most <laughs> all right well um with all the uh with all the festivities out of the way we'll just get right into it um so in, in preparation for this, uh, I had listened to one of your uh, most recent episodes as of this recording, 
uh, and it was talking about the Nashville shooter who just happens to be transsexual. And so the description that you gave it, I mean, you get, you called it the culture war goes hot. And the description goes, I cover about five different topics on this one, but spend most of the time trying to figure out how we turn the temperature down on the culture war. So what was your reasoning behind describing it that way? Because do you feel like the culture war is like too hot or is maybe, maybe I'm misinterpreting it to where maybe you think the culture war isn't as important as it, as it, some other people think it is because a lot of people think the culture is like the most important thing that's going on right now. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I think in some ways the, the cult, like we focus too much on it, but in other ways uh, we're not taking it seriously enough. Like the, the amount of animus that exists on both sides, both from the, you know, trans Alliance community, like their, their allies who have been very radicalized into believing that they're being, you know, persecuted or genocided even. Um, and then on the inverse of it, the, you know, the parents that are convinced that every school teacher is indoctrinating their child into some sort of, you know, sexual progressive ideology. And I think obviously there are instances of that on both sides. I think personally, I find the the curriculum issue and the teachers uh, indoctrinating children to be a more pervasive issue than uh you know, the type of oppression that trans people deal with in terms of like murders and serious things like that. Um, but regardless, I, both sides are kind of dug in, both sides view the other as like almost subhuman and, and their enemies. So uh, when you start to see people that lose their shit and they go on some, you know, killing spree, I think you got to really start to pay attention. And the same analogy I used on the show I'll use here, you know, Ron Paul talked about how, it's important that we understand why the Middle Easterners were you know, willing to fly planes in the buildings on 9-11, assuming you, you believe that's the, that's what transpired. Some people don't. Um, and it's not to, it's not to say like, Oh, that's the, that's their justification. And I agree with it. It's just saying like, well, if someone gets to a point of desperation where they're willing to do something that dramatic, I think it's important to understand why they're doing it. And, and unfortunately, because they've hid the uh, what's it called? What's it called when you write up a your reasoning for committing a crime? Manifesto. Yeah, because they they buried the manifesto from the shooter. Like we're not going to really know. It seems like, but I think you can guess, you know. And and I think that there's a lot of people in that community that that share that sentiment. And what happened to Riley? I think her name's Gaines. I can't remember the swimmer um, at San Francisco State University couple days ago where she was cornered in a room by a bunch of really radical college students that were allegedly she was assaulted and kept in that room for like three hours and they were telling her that she had to pay money to get out um Hmm. it's you know there's just a there's a lot of in my opinion it's like it's very reminiscent of what i've read about the chinese cultural revolution where you have the the college students and the youth that have been indoctrinated into a really dangerous worldview. And I honestly don't know how you turn that down. Like, I don't know how you get those people to, to like snap out of it. Cause as opposed to just snapping, which is what it seems like more of the more and more of them are doing. Um, and I think it portends really dangerous times. So it makes me nervous. Yeah. So you had mentioned about uh, like sexualizing children, um, like teachers are doing that or whatever and however you feel about that i mean it's 
obviously that's you know having a kid myself I mean, it's like that's like the worst thing that i can possibly imagine someone trying to push their yeah. agenda on this onto someone that i don't i don't want that you know me neither man so that that i have something that i don't know if you've seen this before uh but there's this show that i guess is gonna it's on channel four and it's a preview for a new show and i don't I, i'll just i'll, I'll let this i'll let this speak for itself so uh, it's okay. from uh lauren witzke um and her tweet says bbc is promoting a new show where disturbed adults strip naked in front of children and normalize the kids getting naked in front of adults uh the british government spent millions on this sick um wow so anyway go ahead and watch it as teenagers you're always thinking i'm so fat there have definitely been times that i've looked in the mirror and hated what i see this is a baby step to becoming more accepting of who you are being naked is not a bad thing at all zero please in you get. i think it's time that we see what real male bodies look like whoa naked men <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? Your happiness shouldn't be reliant on whether you have this perfect shape. A groundbreaking new series, Naked Education, starts Tuesday at 8 on Channel 4. All episodes available after on all four. Yeah, so, and, I mean, this is a, this is in Britain. So, I mean, who knows if this would ever come here in America. I mean, for all I know, it's, it's just down the pipe, you know? Yeah, well, um, it might be. I, yeah. This is the type of stuff that, like, look, it's not every school teacher far from it and it's not every public school that has this being a really serious issue but there is more and more where this type of stuff not that aggressive of course but um you know ex getting kids to talk about their pronouns and talk about you know whether or not they feel like they're a boy or a girl like i just don't think that these are ideas that you want to put into a child like a very impressionable young person's mind and i think that it leads them down a path of confusion and and oftentimes, you know, depression and anxiety that in order to alleviate it, in order to fit in, they end up kind of acquiescing to the social pressures of being a part of this non-binary group. And, you know, many of them are not, in fact, that. And I don't know how you can reach those children because, like, that's what their teachers are telling them. That's what their peer groups are telling them. That's what social media is telling them. That's what a fucking BBC is telling them <laughs> for no reason. Uh, and I just, I think that you're going to have people on the more conservative side or even just the not crazy side that are going to be like, all right, yeah, like, this is war. Like, you can't go after my kids like that. Um, and I don't blame them. You know, I don't have any kids yet, but like if I had kids that were in school and I had a teacher that was showing them, you know, a, a, an adult naked person, man or woman, I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? They like, you have you lost your mind? Um, and now they're putting it on TV for God's sakes. It's like, it's, it's just, it's just so crazy. And so it's weird too, because like, I don't find myself to be some sort of like prudish, you know, social conservative or anything. Um, I'm totally fine with an adult doing whatever they want to their body with their body to an adult. Like that's all good. Um, but this is just, it's over the line and I feel like it's intentionally inflammatory. It's like, uh, James Lindsay describes it as, I think it's uh, mid-level violence is what he calls it hmm. and where it's just holding a finger, you know, one inch away from someone's nose and just being like, what are you going to do about it? It's like the people that when Jordan Peterson was on the rise, 
they would uh, hold blow horns right next to his face. And it's like, that could damage your eardrum. Like there's no contact being done, but it's, it's still, it's still, you know, it's painful. It's dangerous. It can harm someone like that. That's the type of stuff that's happening more and more. And I feel like they're just trying to get people to, to step over the line and become violent. I don't want to see that. And if it starts to happen consistently, well, that will only radicalize the left into believing that they are correct, that they are being persecuted because now we're, now they're dealing with actual violence. And it's like, all right, well then once that cycle begins and it, it may have begun in Tennessee, what stops it? You know, what, what allows the, the temperature to cool? I don't know. And that's kind of what that episode was, was me just, you know, thinking it through and, and like wondering how the hell do we stop this cycle? And I don't know. Well, and I know it's not like this is a hundred percent the reason, but of course with um, like the COVID lockdowns and, and all the mask mandates and, and, the, and the vax and all that good stuff, a lot more parents are doing the homeschooling or they're doing some kind of co-op or, or, or anything that's not going to the government school. Sure. And that's, that's great. That's amazing. Uh, but that number is still going to be dramatically lower than all the kids are still going to be going to those schools because the yeah, parents, dude. for whatever reason, and you can't blame them for it. It's like, well, I can't, I can't afford this or I don't have the time or, or whatever the reasoning is. They have to bring their, their kids to that school. So mm -hmm. it's like, okay. And just like you, like, I, you know, I kind of been thinking about this and I'm hearing other people talk about it and it makes sense to me. It's that okay. Well, you can say, yeah, just homeschool your kids. Yeah, that's great. But there's that uh, the institution's still there. It's still being controlled by the people who hate you and probably want to see you dead. You know, it's either you want to kill me or we're okay. Like, what's where are we at? So when it comes to that institution, you have to somehow take and you have to take the power back. You can't just let it go. You can't just let it happen. I know. So, it's you know, like you gotta you gotta get the school board on your side. You have to you have to get these people on your side. You can't just be like like the people who don't like voting or whatever it's like okay we well, don't like to vote but at the same time like if you if you continue not to vote then it's and i used to be that person i don't know voting sounds stupid and, it, and there's a lot of negatives for that but when it, when you see stuff like this you, you feel like you have no other choice you just you, you know you go to that you go that route i i agree dude I, I mean this is part of the reason i got involved with the libertarian party just even though you know it's not going to likely get candidates elected on the federal level but at the local level, it has. And I think that, you know, whether it's that or libertarian leaning conservatives, uh, I would vote libertarian leading Democrats if they existed, but they don't. So, um, you know, I, I just think like whatever, whatever tools you have at your disposal to try and slow this thing down and protect kids, uh, like you have to do it. Um, and it's weird because, you know, the, <coughs> the, the reason this is so problematic is that the people on the left also believe that this is a fight to protect children you know like a lot of them believe that deeply that like you you have to teach them these really progressive ideas very young because then it'll allow those that are trans to feel more accepted moving forward blah 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 you know that's their that's their thesis i think that that thesis has been disproven if you look at uh i think it was like sweden or the netherlands um, where they had this type of education that they were doing in their public schools and they're putting an end to it. Like they're, they realize like this is actually not to the benefit of the trans community and, and it's not to the benefit of kids broadly. So I think that the people in America that are continuing to persist in this direction are pretty much disinterested in the truth of whether or not it's beneficial. 
and are just ideologically possessed and they are following this path because this is like this is how this is what they've been told is the proper thing to do by their peer group and their college professors and it's going to take years of them just destroying children before there's any sort of awakening as to the damage that's being done and i i, I don't want to see that um i agree with you like i voting is dumb and voting ultimately you know my I've, i don't think i've ever voted for a candidate that won so it doesn't much matter what i vote for but i also don't think that like voting is violence if i vote for ron paul like that's not violence like <laughs> what are you talking about um so i just think that it's important that you vote for people that are actually you know promising to diminish the size of the state and if they go on to lie and you know grow the size of the state and hurt people well that's you didn't do that um they 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 lied and they broke their promise so i don't know i i'm i think that we have to take a stand at some point but i also i don't want to take a violent stand i want it to be peaceful and and it's weird too because I don't really want to tell other people how to raise their kids, but if I'm going to live in this country and have a bunch of children that are being indoctrinated into this ideology and having their, their minds broken and like depression and anxiety and starting to become violent, like that's, that then becomes a real danger to myself and my family. So like, I feel compelled to intervene in a way that is kind of unlibertarian. You know, you're like, you're not supposed to tell another adult how to raise their kid. But at the same time, like if you see another adult that's abusing their kid, I think that it's moral to to inter intervene. So I feel like that's kind of how I view this is like it's still libertarian to say, I'm going to intervene on the behalf of your child because you're you're poisoning their brain. Like you're you're really you're injuring them with this this type of uh, education when in reality it's indoctrination. Yeah. So as a sidetrack, um <laughs> Like you're you're involved with the Libertarian Party, so how do you feel about Joe Exotic entering the race for president? I mean, welcome, I guess. <laughs> I <don't like> to... <laughs> guy, guy sucks, but um, you know, I I agree with his disdain for Carol Baskin or Baskins or whatever. So, uh, but he also he's like a gun grabber idiot, so that kind of bums me out. But he's also in prison, so like, what the fuck? I mean, none of this really matters. <laughs> it's all just it's just a PR stunt, really. Yeah, it's funny too because, like, yeah, he's in prison and he could apparently still run for president. And then, you know, Donald Trump got indicted recently and he had his hearing and everyone was flipping out, saying, Oh, this is it. This is the end game. The walls are finally closing in or whatever. And I just, I read something where, and I could, I don't know how, like, everything about how this works. So you probably know way more about this than I do. So correct me if I'm wrong, but his next hearing, is in december and, and it's just like so they're okay so they did this and then they're going to go all the way to the end of the year and then like the republican or like the that's and then like two months later or wherever it is that's when the presidential election is really ramping up because obviously yeah. he's running it's obvious yeah and oh he already announced yeah yeah and even okay so even okay so he announced so even then like i I don't know. It, this whole thing doesn't. I'm just like, I don't know. And my my hope is that Joe Biden is in prison, Donald Trump is in prison, and uh, Joe Exotic are in prison, and we have three candidates that are all in prison running for the presidency. That would be really symbolic of the state of our union. <laughs> I yeah. I just I don't know. The whole thing just is just ridiculous. It's a clown show. Like it literally is a clown show. Yes, it and is. And 
and and I've read articles where it's they're saying, yeah, he all the counts that he's um or all the things that he's being charged with could be he gets he gets like 134 or 136 years in jail or something. Yeah. And but they're saying that's like extreme. So it's like, okay, what are we doing here then? Like what 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 are we doing? And look, I, I've and I saw some people on Twitter where they're saying where he's being accused like falsifying documents, whatever. And I mean, that's not that's not something to take lightly. Like you can't just be like falsifying shit. Like, no, that didn't really happen. Da, da, da. Let me let me white it out and put something I would like that looks good. Like you, you know, you can't just do that on like these type of documents. Well, but kind of, but but at the same time, like no one that pays hush money ever says like it's to cover up my infidelity. Like they don't they don't put that on their accounting when they file their taxes. It's just like I paid this person and that's it. Um, you know, the fact that he funneled it through his attorney and and apparently he then he paid be- he paid his attorney back um, in in a way that like kind of obfuscated it, but he did it through the Trump organization as opposed to him paying it personally, according to Napolitano, who I had on the the same episode you listened to. Um, it, had he paid it personally as opposed to paying it out of the the Trump cor- corporation, then it would have been on the up and up. But because it was from the corporation, it's essentially like using corporate funds for personal expense, and you know, I it, to me that's still not a huge deal, and I don't really care. And I think that it's quite evident that this is pro- political persecution. Um, I think that all of the charges that they've brought against Trump to date have been complete nonsense. I think this one is a little bit less nonsense, but it's at the same time, it's like it, it happened seven years ago. The statute of limitations is two two years on this type of infraction, so it's clearly political in my estimation. And I I think that like the nation would be completely destroyed if they were to actually imprison donald trump over this shit so i hope it doesn't happen for that reason um but at the same time like i i don't think that the i don't think that these charges will stick because i think that the the powers that be have to know that this would be a catalyst for some real wild shit to go down in this country if they if they were to actually like put him away um but then again like i would have never thought that they would have locked us in our houses for over a year uh so <laughs> you know, yeah. like, anything's possible at this point i guess yeah yeah that's true I, yeah i don't know i just because look i mean I, I understand like all the the foreign policy yeah i get him a jailer but i think we have to kind of understand that it's just it's not going to happen like it, it's not going to happen like these these people aren't going to jail for this like so we need to like just stop talking about it because it's not going to happen like donald but trump isn't mean- going donald trump is not going to jail because he he was like part of the assassination for for some form. It's just not going to happen. Like Obama's well, not going to jail for slave markets. It's just, we're not, it's just not going to happen. No. Well, not, they're not ever going to go away for the, the the reasons that they should. Um, which is why you know this is such a concern to me. Is like, well, you're you're obviously you have two different paths of justice. You have like, all right, if you're a political friend, then you can assassinate American citizens like Obama did. Um, and if you're not, then we'll we'll put you away for hush money that was paid through your corporation. It's like, all right, well, th- I mean, it's just this is what you see in like in broken, dying empires, and I think that's what we are. So, I don't I don't think it's going to get any less crazy from here. Um, and this is all well, we still have a semi-functioning economy, and that is not going to persist much longer. So, um, I think that the next few years are going to be very very interesting. So you, um, you you mentioned the economy, and 
one one video that I saw that was pretty interesting was talking about the I think it was the European Central Bank, and she was talking about uh, what was it? I, I have it here. Yeah, so saying that anything over a thousand years will land you in jail if you use those like cash payments over that will land you in jail. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you've seen this or not. You you might have you might have. Um, yeah, Christine I know the, the yeah the main one like everyone's been talking about this twenty four second clip, but there's like a, a full like a thirty minute a thirty minute a three minute clip on this. Um, so I, I want to ask you like, because I, I see people saying that this is kind of one of the like the federal government going really going after like crypto or trying to. Like, is this like a, a sign that crypto is now becoming a threat? I suppose. Oh yeah. Um, because what was it like Fed Pay or something like that? I don't know if that was an April Fool's joke or something like that. Where someone no was no saying it's like, real Fed now it's real. Yeah. No oh, Jesus Christ. But but Fed now is is between the banks. It's not it's not for consumer use. So I think people are a little bit ahead of the game in terms of like assuming that that equates to a central bank digital currency. But it is it is the uh, you know it's the framework by which they can build a CBDC off of. So mm -hmm. it's important that people are aware of it and probably push back. But to think that you're not going to have electronic payments between banks at, at some point, I mean, they, they basically do already. So this is just like, I think, trying to put it on a blockchain type of technology. Um, that's going to happen. Like, you're not going to stop that. I think that the real issue is like getting rid of cash, banning cryptocurrency like into uh, decentralized independent cryptocurrencies and then mandating that people only transact in cbdc's or central bank digital currencies like that that's the real concern and that's that's the red line if they if they pull that off then you know liberty is dead <laughs> so mm. um but we're not there yet the fed now does not constitute a central bank digital currency in my humble opinion but but could that be something that could become something that's consumer Oh yes, yeah. I mean, it, once they have the technology and they've they've demonstrated that it's that it works, um, then it's it doesn't take much to just add three hundred plus million accounts. Like as of now, it'll be Fed now and it'll exist amongst the 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 banks. Um, I think that after that, then they'll probably roll out consumer Fed now, and mm -hmm. and then it will be probably mandated and then you'll have some sort of abolition movement towards cash probably on some sort of like green justification like oh this is we're wasting trees or whatever the fuck like it's gonna be total nonsense but that's what they do i mean i you don't have to be like uh you don't have to have a crystal ball you just have to know how their propaganda arm works and you can kind of like track okay this is probably what's going to happen um so that's that's my opinion. I think that we will probably have a real push for central bank digital currencies sometime in twenty twenty four, but I don't think it's I don't think it's now. That's my personal opinion. Hmm. hmm. Yeah, because I don't know. That's something that I haven't really looked into, so I, I don't really hold know a whole lot about that. It's, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. That I've, lo seem... I've looked into it. I mean, it, it's yeah. it's it's very concerning that like you have many central banks all over the world that are that are headed in this direction they're talking about it um i think it was the chicago fed that had a white paper on central bank digital currencies the biden administration came out with a you know presidential memorandum or whatever that that said mm -hmm. that they they wanted to expedite the development of one so like 
they're headed there. Like there's no doubt they're headed there. I think that the the interesting question or or dilemma dynamic that people aren't really evaluating is like does this does this advent of this technology does it benefit the central bankers of the world and the current you know titans of industry like do, does that actually benefit them or does it undermine them and will they end up fighting on the side of us because they want mm-hmm. to maintain their kind of technocratic control of the money supply um or can they seamlessly transition from their current monopolistic paradigm into some sort of new one with the central bank digital currency. Obviously they would like to do that because it is an improvement on their, their existing uh, mechanisms for control, but I don't know, you know, and, and if you already like, if you already have such a dominant position, you're probably not going to take that risk unless you feel compelled to or forced almost. Mm -hmm. So I think that the inflationary pressures that we're likely to experience as the, the um, petrodollar system and the U.S. dollar as reserve currency status starts to consistently diminish over years, and the inflationary pressures start to become more profound uh, at home. I think that's when they'll they'll really aggressively move towards it because I think with our the amount <coughs> the amount of debt that exists, um, there's just no there's no balancing these books. Like you're not gonna you're not gonna have political will or or public will for the amount of uh, austerity that's necessary to get our our budget in alignment, um, and you're also not gonna, <laughs> you're not going to be able to tax people enough to to you know balance these this shit. So it's like it's just a matter of time before they kind of realize like all right yeah we can't keep kicking this can it's going like the inflationary pressure is here it's persistent it's mm-hmm. not going anywhere we need to transition to a central bank digital currency and that's when I think it'll happen. Hmm. So do you think, uh, like, with that in mind, do you think that's one of the reasons why they're so invested with, like, Russia and Ukraine? Because it's because I read something where, like, Japan is diverging from the, like, U.S. oil reserve or something like that, and they're buying Russian oil. Yep. And well, so- and, they're, and they're buying it in rubles. Um, huh. and, and, they're, and they're buying it over the, the price cap because the the West and NATO and the U S put a price cap on Russia's oil to the world, what they could sell it for, which is like, hmm. how the fuck do you think you have that power to just put a price yeah. cap on someone else's like primary export? It's just lunacy. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what's happening. Um, but it's not just the, the Japanese. I mean, you have the French that just recently transacted in, um, the Yuan or hmm. maybe, maybe Japan, purchased it in yuan or maybe it was yen i don't know but it wasn't the u.s dollar and, right. and it was also over the price cap um but then you also saw the the french that that did their first ever sale of lng which is liquefied natural gas in the yuan as opposed to the u.s dollar so uh the saudis have already signaled that they're willing to do it uh you know J- uh, china just brokered a, a peace deal between iran and saudi arabia which would have never happened uh, under the old paradigm of u.s you know dominance so I think it's quite clear that the U.S.'s stranglehold on on power as the unipolar hegemon is diminishing. And it's just a matter of like, how long does this last? Can we actually transition from a unipolar to a bipolar world order without World War III? Uh, I think that, as you, you know, hinted at, almost certainly the war in Ukraine is, is a, it's a proxy war to defend the dollar. It's to go after yet another 
leader uh, yet another country just as they went after Saddam Hussein and Muammar Gaddafi and uh, Assad in Syria. Like there's so many leaders that have been toppled or attempted to be toppled uh, based off of their desire to not be under the the thumb of the U.S. dollar trading regime. Um, and as they say, mm. all wars are bankers' wars. So I think that the Ukraine situation is no different. That's my personal opinion. Yeah, so I kind of wanted to also talk about that, talk about the Russian-Ukraine war, because I know you talked about that with over at Tim Cast, where you kind of gave a brief... Um, like post USSR history on, on, on that. And, and that kind of like dives into the quote unquote unprovoked attack that Russia right. did on, on Ukraine. Um, totally unprovoked. Were, yeah. But there was something that I haven't seen. If ever, I haven't seen anyone like on in our circles, even talk about this or mention it. And if, if someone has, or has talked about this, then let me know, like correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but have you heard something called the Budapest Memorandum? I have. I forget what it is, but yes. Okay. So, yeah, I, I wanted to kind of touch up on that because I thought, because again, I'd never heard of this. And then I saw someone's thread talking about it because they were, they were kind of on the, on the Ukraine side. So I was like, okay, I want to see what, what, what this whole thing is. I hadn't, I had never heard of this. Oh yeah. 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 Um, That's where Ukraine gave up its nukes, right? Right. Yeah. So that, yeah. So that was one of the things that I wanted to, um, kind of because it was yeah it was interesting because it was like okay so russia us and, and the uk they all kind of agreed yeah ukraine will give up their nukes in exchange for like financial compensation and this uh this like promise which i don't even understand why they would even i don't know what kind of promises they were given or what like how they were so sure oh yeah they're no one's gonna attack us or anything right. like that for whatever reason. Um, so I, I don't understand how come I don't see a lot of people talking about it. Is it kind of just because it, it was like a lot, it was like nine, 1994. So maybe it's his old history. Maybe they don't want to talk about it because it's just, it's not, it's not, it's nothing that would be too relevant to what's happening now. But the oh, fact the, that, but the fact the that Ukraine, the NAFO people talk about it all the time. Right. But the fact that Ukraine did have, nuclear weapons however many they had and then they gave them up mm -hmm. and having these assurances i i don't know i'm trying to i'm just trying to like understand like 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 why like okay so they're gonna they're gonna recognize their borders but yeah i, I mean i don't know that that's that's part of what it was i think i think that may have been when they they also agreed to give a a lease on Crimea to Russia. I could be mm -hmm. wrong, um, but I'm pretty sure that's that's correct. That Russia really all Russia wanted was Crimea. Like they wanted to have yeah. access to that warm water port for their naval uh, purposes. And I think that's that's what happened. Oh, 2014. No, no, no. But I think that that was because there was a lease that existed that the Ukrainians backed out of. And and then Russia was like, uh, no, you're not backing out of it. So hmm. this is more more complicated. I I'm still finishing Scott's book, so I can't speak to this, you know, with perfect historical right. memory. But it's uh, it's very complicated. <laughs> Basically, they they had an agreement that was like a hundred year lease on Crimea to Russia, and then um, after the Maidan revolution, uh, they they 
ended that lease. And then the Russians were like, yeah, no, you're not going to do that. And then they went in there and they, as Dave Smith calls it, coup de main. It was basically a bloodless coup uh, to take over Crimea. And then the Russians have had it ever since. And I don't think they're going to give it up. And if they are pushed up against the wall, they'll probably use nuclear weapons to defend it. And that's that's how seriously they take it. Because um, I can't really blame them. You have all of NATO, which including now Finland, which is being added this week for no apparent fucking reason. Um, it's all it's all just crazy. Uh, but there's also the Nyet means net Nyet uh, wire or cable that was leaked by Julian Assange, which uh, explained that in fact there was um, it was well known that it like every single person in Russia was in opposition to Ukraine being added as a member of NATO, and Kamala Harris famously in in late 2022 uh, or 2021, right before Russia invaded, said that like the door is still open to NATO. Uh, or to Ukraine joining NATO. So it's like this this pressure to put Ukraine into NATO um, has been consistent and it has been the reddest of red lines to the Russian people and to the Russian leadership forever. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, the, the the West just didn't take Russia seriously at all. They They thought of them as a fallen foe, a joke, they're like, look, these guys can't mess with us militarily. They've already diminished their nuclear stock stockpile. Their economy is, you know, nothing compared to the the might of America, much less all of NATO. Um, and they just decided to abuse them and, and push them as far as they could. And they pushed them to the point of, all right, now we're going to take over Ukraine. And I think that's that's exactly the calculation that Putin made. It's not to justify it. Uh, I think that the the death of the Ukrainians is absolutely horrendous, but it's also like it was well known. Like this is this is going to happen. Um, so now it's happening. Yeah. So okay. So I, I think I had the wrong thing on there. The thing that I actually I have it on my phone, of course. Sure. Um, so Okay, so it says the four parties signed the memorandum containing a preamble in six paragraphs. I won't read every single thing because obviously that's going to take two, you know, two weeks. Um, so the U.S. and Russia and U.K. Uh, welcomed the accession of Ukraine to the treaty on the non-proliferation of nuclear weapons as non-nuclear weapon state, taking into account the commitment of Ukraine to eliminate all nuclear weapons from its territory within a specified period of time. Noting the changes in the worldwide security situation, including the end of the Cold War, which have brought about conditions for deep reductions in nuclear forces, confirm the following. Uh, that Russia, UK, US reaffirmed their commitment to Ukraine in accordance with the principles of the final act of the Conference on Security and Cooperation in Europe to respect the independence and sovereignty in the existing borders of Ukraine. So everybody already, everybody's basically saying that Ukraine exists. Like they're basically acknowledging that they're independent. It's not like this China Taiwan situation, where it's right. like it's a little more complicated than that. Um, so, and then the, yeah, those then those countries reaffirm their obligation to refrain from the threat or use of force against the territorial integrity or political independence of Ukraine, <laughs> and that none of their weapons will ever be used against Ukraine, except in self-defense or otherwise. In a, okay, otherwise in accordance with the Charter of the UN. So. Obviously, we know that the U.S. government is sending billions of dollars worth of weapons and any type of military arsenal that they can bring over to Ukraine because they're considered allies. 
So the U.S. is doing that because they the you so the Ukraine is ally. So like part of me is wondering. Okay, so if if they didn't have that, then would this situation still be the same? And, what do you and mean? What I, and what I mean by that is that Russia is seen as this all-powerful government that must be stopped. And yet, like, I thought the war was going to be over by, like, you know, two hours. Like, it's still going on. Yeah, well, I... And, I, and, 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 a, lot, and a lot of that does have to do with those American weapons, I'm sure, because American weapons are just high and mighty, you know, they're trillions of dollars worth. But they're seen as allies. So, of course, when, you, when, there's, when you're an ally, when your ally over there is being attacked for whatever reason, you would want to help them. Well, uh, I mean, <laughs> it's still different when you're talking about a, a proxy war with a nuclear power and, uh, you know, a nation that has 6,000 nuclear weapons. Like it's, it's not a, a small thing. And, and keep in mind too, while Ukraine may be an ally, they are not a NATO member. There is no, you know, impetus or requirement for the United States or any of the NATO members to actually intervene on their behalf. In fact, the way that they're behaving in terms of giving kind of a an endless budget and an endless supply of weaponry is exactly what is required in Article 5 of NATO, that they, they're they treating them as if they are a NATO member, a de facto NATO member, when in fact they are not a NATO member. Um, and I think that's exactly what Putin was disturbed by, is like, look, I don't want them to be a member of NATO because if we have any skirmish that happens between the two nations, I don't want to be at war with NATO all of a sudden. Um, and now he's acting now and NATO is responding as if Ukraine is already a member of NATO. So it's all kind of, <laughs> it's all very, very crazy. Um, but the, the, the reality is like, whether or not you think that like, there's some sort of moral uh, justification to intervene on behalf of the Ukrainians, you're still risking every man, woman, and child on this planet over ultimately which tyrant gets to rule over the eastern portion of Ukraine. And we also haven't mentioned the fact that there was shelling from uh, western Ukraine towards the Donbass region, the eastern portion of Ukraine, for six years, you know, where they were, many would argue, ethnically cleansing Russians from the eastern portion of Ukraine, because the eastern portion of Ukraine is primarily Russian-speaking, you know, Russian-leaning type of Ukrainian people. So, it's it's not as simple as just saying, well, Ukraine's our ally. We should intervene on their behalf. It's like there's a lot of other factors that go into this. Hmm. It's, so it just has to do with NATO then. If they weren't a de facto member, they wouldn't even be doing anything then. Who's they? Russia? Yeah, Russia. Um, well, I, I think that the the reality is like, Russia realized that Ukraine was a de facto member. So before, how did uh, they even become a de facto member? They just decided out of the clear blue sky that Ukraine's a de facto member. Like, how did that even come to be? I, I think that the NATO was led by America, and America's State Department decided that Ukraine was a de facto NATO member, and that Ukraine would be added to NATO. Much, to, much to the consternation of the Russians, uh, they just didn't give a fuck. They're like, we're going to make Ukraine a NATO member, and we're going to make it so that. If Russia ever drops a single bomb on Ukraine that were in World War Three, like that's that's what they thought was a good idea. And it was a fucking terrible idea because it was ultimately, um, in my opinion, why Putin decided to act before they became a formal member of NATO. 
he's like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to look as if I'm actually going to war against NATO. I'm going to act now before they put Ukraine into it because I have to have access to Crimea. Um, uh, this is, this is my estimation of his calculus that he made. Uh, but I think it's a very fair one. Like it's their only year round warm water port for their naval, um, outlet. Like they, they cannot exist as a power in the world if they don't have access to that waterway. And if they lose that access because the Ukrainian leadership decided to, to, you know, unceremoniously end that lease on Crimea to Russia, well, then what the fuck choice do they have? You know, it's like they're just going to be some landlocked, frigid wasteland half the year. Like, that's not a that's not a very tenable position to put one of the more powerful nations on Earth that also has 6,000 nuclear weapons at their disposal. And I think it was very reckless to do that. You know, you really you really put them in a a lose-lose scenario where ultimately their willingness to now invade their neighbor became much more probable. And, and everybody in the U S state department knew, like they all knew that this is where it was headed and they kept this pressure up regardless. There was the, um, I think it was the orange revolution in 2004. And then in 2014, the Maidan revolution, uh, I think that the orange one was more, you know, Russian backed. And then the, uh, the 2014 one was more American backed. It, like both sides are doing this, but the, the truth of the matter is like, whether you think it's right or not for the biggest powers of the world to be intervening and, you know, manipulating other allegedly sovereign nations elections. The truth is it's much more reasonable or justifiable for the U S to manipulate Mexico's election than it is for the U S to manipulate Ukraine's election 6,000 miles away. Right? Like it makes more sense. There's much more, um, defense justification in saying we don't want to have like say there was some like Al Qaeda was running for the presidency of Mexico. The U.S. Mm-hmm. would obviously intervene to make sure that didn't happen because they or, or ISIS. They'd be like, well, we're not going to have uh, some sort of like Islamic terrorist state that's right on our southern border. And that's basically how Russia viewed Ukraine. Whether you know whether you agree with their assessment or not, I, I think that there's a very reasonable argument to be made that the U S would absolutely do the same thing that Russia is doing right now. So we don't have the moral authority to tell them not to do it. And that's, that's really the argument that I'm going to make to destiny when I debate him in two weeks is like, look, I'm not saying that it's a good thing. I'm just saying that this wouldn't be happening if it weren't for the U S and NATO and the state department of the U S. Um, and it's also totally exactly what the U S would be doing, except I think the U S would be doing it much more aggressively. They would not have been, as patient and as uh, plotting and as considerate when it came to trying to avoid civilian civilian casualties in Ukraine, because I think that the Russians really do view the Ukrainian people as their, maybe not their brothers, but their cousins at least. Whereas, you know, when the U.S. invades, like if you remember the shock and awe campaign in Iraq, they don't give a mm-hmm. fuck about these people. They're just like, we're going to kill indiscriminately. Um, and I, you know, my personal opinion is that like the war in Ukraine would have been over a lot faster had Russia decided to treat them how the U.S. treats other nations when they invade, but they didn't, and I, I give them credit for that. Whereas a lot of people, you know, now look at that as weakness, and I'm like, no, I think that they didn't want to have some prolonged insurgency because they killed so many innocent people, uh, and I think that they were actually going about it in a much more reasonable way. Uh, still, it's horrific, and there's now hundreds of thousands of dead Ukrainians because. NATO got involved and backed them when in reality, the truth of the situation is that it, it will and should be that 
the eastern portion, the Russian speaking, the place where there's been referendums to to let the people decide that they want to be part of Russia as opposed to Ukraine, which has been bombing them for years. Like, let that happen. That's that's the natural like progression of the the division of these of this nation because the east is it has been so abused by Ukraine and they just no one cares about that everyone's just like well it's Ukraine so like it's obviously it has to stay Ukraine and I'm like well they're bombing them they've been bombing the eastern portion of Ukraine they've been killing these people uh, like do they not have a right to say I don't want this anymore I want to be under the protection of Russia I think that that's totally fair um, so as someone who believes in peaceful secession, I think that they should have the right to peacefully secede. And, you know, I think that that's ultimately the outcome that we will see if we're fortunate enough not to see world war three. Well, I think if Putin is afraid of NATO, which I mean, he clearly is, I mean, is there's that's, as you're saying, that's the main reason why he would be doing this is because he feels yep. that he's, his back is against the wall. Yep. Um, and it is. If, like yeah so if nato is doing that then i don't think i mean i'm sure i don't know because people are probably thinking he wouldn't be dumb enough to to start whatever he was doing but then at the same time it's okay so is he going to be is he going to go that extra step and start world war three or whatever you want to call it because you, you know at any time man yeah and, and you know but if he feels that threatened by all because it's not like Russia. I don't know how many allies Russia has, but I'm probably going to guess it's not as many as America around the world or something like that, you know? Because if, well, if, 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 if they're not part of NATO, then, and the NATO's a bunch of like, I don't know how many countries it is, like a thousand, it seems like. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I mean, the, the playing field is certainly uneven, but the, the truth is like all of these other nations, the BRICS alliance, as they call it, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. now Iran, are essentially signaling they haven't made it official that they're they may be a military alliance moving forward um and i think that that's that's really the divide and when you talk that divide if it includes india and china well now you're talking about uh, like more than half of the world that is in alignment with the non-nato alliance in which case you cannot take that war on lightly I mean, it is not it is not a given by any stretch of the imagination that NATO will win that and certainly not easily and certainly not with nuclear exchanges that end all life on Earth. So um, this is a much more serious decision than our State Department is acting as if it is. And and they really ought to reconsider. Um, not only is it risking World War Three and nuclear holocaust, but it is also rapidly endangering the us's you know reserve currency status on on the globe uh so i think that they're playing with absolute fire both you know militaristically and economically and it is not to the benefit of the american people and that's why i continue to speak out against it because i'm very nervous about the trajectory of things it doesn't we don't need to be doing any of this like it's totally insane like we ought to just be pulling our troops back letting ukraine negotiate a peace where the eastern like eastern quarter of of ukraine becomes Russia and let's end this shit. Like, what's the alternative? Fucking push Putin up against the wall to defend Crimea, force him to fire a nuke into Kiev just to see if, like, see if the NATO will respond in kind. Like, do we really want to see that? The, to me, the answer is fucking hell no. I do not want to see that. So, and I think that's what we will see if if the West doesn't just get its fucking head out of its ass. Um, 
scary shit, man. <laughs> well, I guess you can consider that uh, practice for when you debate destiny. I don't know if I'm going to, I don't know if he's, he's probably better at saying what he's going to say with his view. Oh, he's going to try to do it. So he's going to go ballistic, of course. But <laughs> um, yeah, no, that was a good, good trial run. And uh, you know, I'm still, I still have two weeks to prepare, so I'll be much more fine tuned by then. But um, I'm pretty confident that this is, this is not the side that we should be on. Uh, we should not be on the, the NATO fuck Russia, you know, Ukraine is Ukraine. Let it stand forever type of mentality. I think it's, it's just a very, very, very dangerous, uh, you know, stance to take. And, and I hope, I hope that cooler heads prevail both on the Russian Ukrainian and NATO side. Uh, so to go on a, uh, to end on a lighter note, mm-hmm. uh, there's this, uh, Virginian man. He was trying to help his neighborhood out. So a Virginian man might have finally figured out how to get a city to fix the pothole and that's to go viral on TikTok. <laughs> because as probably a lot of you know, there's this bill that are trying to ban TikTok or whatever. I don't know. But I mean, here's here's one example of why you shouldn't because apparently it'll help fix a pothole. Uh, so what, what this guy did was he planted a tree in the pothole because he kept requesting <laughs> after request to, hey, there's this pothole that needs to be fixed. And they're like, eh, we got more important things to worry about. He's like, oh yeah, well, let me plant this big ass, or not big ass tree, but if you don't do anything, it's going to turn into a big ass tree. And so uh, he posted that on <laughs> Facebook, like photos of it. And then a TikTok video of it became viral and had like 50 million views. And <laughs> and then they're like, oh shit, we'll fix that pile for you. Sorry, whoops. That's hilarious. I love it. That's smart, yeah. man. We didn't, we, didn't, we didn't mean to ignore your request. We didn't know you were going to freaking plant a tree in a freaking pothole. Whoops. <laughs> well, so, Tim, you know. Tim Poole was talking about this with uh, Vivek Ramaswamy on his show on Friday. And he was saying, like, it's so infuriating that, like, instead of just asking either the government or a corporation to do the right thing, like, sometimes he feels, you know, forced to use his social media clout pressure to get people to do the right thing. And this is a good example of that. Like you have now kind of people power through the, the, you know, virality properties that allow you to, to put pressure on powerful entities that will otherwise ignore you. And it's like, all right, well, Hey, power to the people, I guess. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's hilarious. It's a great idea too. I'm glad that they did that. All right, Clint. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you can let people know where they can find you and follow you and all that good stuff. Yeah, at Liberty Lockpot on Twitter, Liberty Lockdown, any any podcatchers out there, and I will be back on YouTube tomorrow. I've been on Rumble in the interim, but I will be back on YouTube tomorrow with uh, Gabriel. I don't know if his last name is Assange. I think it might be something else, but Julian Assange's father, Gabriel. Um, so it's gonna be gonna be powerful. I'm super super pumped about it. So everybody check that out. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, and there was a photo of him going around julian assange but it turned out to be a, a fake yes so, i know ai and then yeah. there was also uh dennis that put out a fake fucking new york times article saying that julian was found dead and i was like oh why would you do that man um people were brilliant like, <laughs> brilliant stuff dennis i love that it's awesome people were absolutely furious <laughs> I, I actually like it took my breath away when i first saw it and then i was like oh no and i knew right away it was dennis <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he's a good one. <laughs> oh man, so funny. All right, well, thanks everyone for watching and listening. 
and uh, we'll see you in the next one. The, the the truck's backing up because they're hearing us. Uh, I think it's time to end this episode. And smash that like button. Yeah, smash that like Just button. Just break your computer. And don't forget to subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. Bye. Bye.